Hi, and welcome back to Rewriting History, Making Legends, a Hamilton and Marvel podcast. <clears throat> so today, I am going to be talking about Loki episode 6, entitled For All Time Always, um, wrapping up this um, Loki series that I've been doing on my podcast, where I just kind of discuss all the episodes of Loki. So, we have come to the season finale, uh operative word being season not series finale season finale um so let's just talk about um where it starts and it starts um on the well okay so the opening title is a jumble of um things we've heard marvel characters say with um the song it's been a long long time playing in the background the last time we heard that song was at the end of Avengers Endgame, when <coughs> Steve Rogers was dancing with um, Peggy, um, and there's this overlap of Marvel characters saying some very recognizable lines and some very unrecognizable lines, too. Um, I believe the first one we hear is Way to Go, Tic Tac, which Sam Wilson said to Scott Lang. I believe it was Captain America Civil War, but I, I don't know, I, I think so. Um, there's um, there's a lot of different lines. I like to just listen sometimes and try and pick them out. I There was one time I heard um, the Hank Pym line, you sent my suit through the mail, which was said in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, what else have I heard? Um... Oh, yeah, there was the Steve Rogers line where, so the Steve, um, from a different universe said, I can do this all day, and then our Steve Rogers said, yeah, I know, um, that was spoken in Avengers Endgame when Steve Rogers fought Steve Rogers. Great, great scene, by the way. Um, yeah, so it was just a really interesting opening title, and I, I know I was really confused at first because I was like, wait, okay, so it's playing, it's been a long, long time not the uh, normal music oh my gosh and now there's like all these characters talking like is this going to be the new marvel opening or something and then it went to a weird shot of the universe like closing in on itself and i was like oh i get it we're watching um something to do with time and then as the universe pulls in on itself it like explodes um, essentially creating a whole new universe, um, and then we, like, dive into this black hole or something, and we hear all these voices, and some of them are Marvel characters, and some of them are real-life characters, like, I think, um, goodness, who was in there? I think there was, um, Malala Yousafi was in there, um, at one point, um, there were a couple other, like, real people, And then, um, the last few lines we hear is Vision's line from WandaVision, where what is grief if not love persevering? And then the final line we hear is open your eyes, which Sylvie said in episode 5. And then we pull back from this, like, um, it was like shooting through this tunnel, almost, of light. And we pull back and we find out that that tunnel of light is the sacred timeline surrounding this citadel and the citadel is carved out of this asteroid (coughs) that loki and sylvia are standing on and then we go into the opening title and this time the opening title is very different it has more of a chilling foreboding music in it instead of the normal music and you know it's just it's really um it's, it's almost like you just want it to keep going like uh the music is just it's chilling foreboding and then it's also that kind of frustrating music where you're just like come on let's go let's do this um i think it definitely helped me get into the show anyway then we cut back to um loki and sylvie as they walk up the asteroid to the citadel at the end of time and they have this like whole conversation about whether Sully should kick in the door or not, and she's like, well, are you gonna tell me to not kick in the door? And Loki's like, no, and there's this whole, like, odd interaction about kicking in the door. Um, 
and it is kind of an interesting interaction because um, here, Sylvia's asking, are you going to tell me not to kick down the door? Or kick in the door? And But later, when faced with a choice, she's not asking him his opinion. She's just going to go kick down that door. Um, to put it in metaphorical terms. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, uh, I think it's an interesting scene because it's almost, it's almost, um, it's almost, it's very, very minor version of what we're going to see later in the show. Anyway, there's this one line where Loki tries to say something and Sylvia's like, Loki, shut up, I was pruned before you even existed. I've been waiting for this my entire life. I just need a minute to think. And every time I hear that line, I was pruned before you even existed. It's just, it's so, I just get so curious because, like, was it bad writing on the writer's behalf or was it a slip? Like, did Sylvie not mean to say I was pruned? Was it a slip of, like, of her tongue or was it just bad writing? I don't know, but I'm so curious about that line and I hope if it, if it was meant to be in there and it, it was a mistake on Sylvie's part that I'm really curious what that could imply. Like, it might just be kind of a bad metaphor where when she says I was pruned, it means <clears throat> she could be saying I was erased from existence, nobody knew I existed. TV is hunting me, trying to kill me, no one really knows I exist. Therefore, I was, like, basically pruned from everyone's mind. Or she could have slipped and it meant a physical pruning. But then, like, I feel like she would have known about the voice. It's just, I don't know. I don't, I've never really known what to do with that line. And if you have any theories, you can put them in the comment section on the Apple podcast. Um, anyway. The door swings open, like, Willy Wonka style. No need to, like, kick it down or anything. And Loki and Sylvie step in. And they're just walking and walking. And the camera is, um, it's facing forward. So you can't really um, see them, but it's just going down this hallway, and then suddenly, boom, Miss Minutes appears, and she has, like, and she's just like, hey, y'all, and I, like, oh my gosh, I almost had a heart attack. Like, I expect it. I, I watched it, I think, twice, and I think I watched the episode, the episode six twice on one day. I watched it the first time, and then I decided to go back and watch it because I... I just wanted to see it again because it was so big. Anyway, I was expecting it the second time, and I think it was scarier the second time. I don't know why, but I was sitting on my bed, watching the episode on my iPad, and I jumped. And, anyway, um, so, I think part of what makes that so scary is, uh, whatever they did to the pupils of her eyes, like, they, like, made them tinier, and it just changed her whole look now i just gotta say multiverse of madness the movie dr strange and the multiverse of madness is supposed to be like a horror movie of sorts or a thriller if you want to call it that more like leaning on the horror side um if marvel can scare us with a clock then i am honestly terrified what they're gonna have in store for us in multiverse of madness so yeah, just gonna just gonna say that because it's it's just a scary thought. Um, sorry to ruin your day. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Miss Minutes appears and she's like, "Welcome to the Citadel at the end of time," and she starts talking about um, he who remains. Um, and how at the end of time there is only he who remains. And it's just like, oh my gosh. Anyway, no, I thought, I thought, um, I thought it was very, um, not scary, but just like chilling to just hear that at the end of time there is only he who remains. And it's just like, what? Like, who is this guy? Like, is he an alien? Like, what's going on? Um, and she starts giving them 
offers and saying that he who reminds us found a way to insert them both back into the timeline in a way that won't disrupt the order of things. Loki can go back, defeat the Avengers, um, steal the Infinity Gauntlet from Thanos, um, which all this sounds crazy. And then, then she tells Sylvie she can wake up with a lifetime of happy memories and they can both have it together. Um, so basically there'd be two Lokis together in the same place on the sacred timeline and Miss Minute says, I know it's crazy, but he can make it work. And they both look really tempted for a second. I think, because Loki's past ruling at this point, I believe. So I don't think it's the Infinity Gauntlet and the beating the Avengers that's tempting him. It's just getting to to go back somewhere where he can, <clears throat> you know, just, you know, give up um, trying to rule. Or he can just be happy. And I think it's also the prospect of uh, being together or being with, yeah, being on the timeline with Sylvie is also tempting him, I think, in that moment. And for a sec- I mean, it's- okay, so I don't think- I don't think- sorry. Um, I don't think Sylvie was tempted at all. I think it was more of just, um, the expression on her face looked almost wistful, like, I wish I could have this, but I can't. And it's- it's- she looks very sad as she says, it's fiction. It's just another lie. And, you know, Loki is starting to realize this, too. He knows that, um, you know, getting to just finally be at peace without having to worry about ruling would be great. But he can't just abandon what he's come here for, and that's to shut down the TVA and stop whoever's behind the curtains. And he says, we write our own destinies now. And Miss Minute says, huh, good luck with that. And then, like, spins away, and she's gone. And the two of them look at each other, and they're just like, what? Like, they're, they're, um, they're very confused, to put it lightly. Um, and they continue walking down the hallway. And if, I, I believe this is when we cut to Ravana. Sorry if I'm mistaken about that. I don't think order of the show really matters at a podcast, but I do think it's Ravana next. And she's sitting on her couch in her office going through some files and she moves some files off of the um, side table and she sees the rings left by um, Mobius's glasses every time he has a drink with her because he never uses the um, how did I just lose the word I'm looking for he never uses the things you sit your drinks on to keep the rings off the table. I don't know why I just forgot what those are called, but I hope you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm like totally blanking right now. I mean, it's 4.30 on Sunday. I'm tired. So anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, so she sees the rings he left on the table because he never used those things and she looks really sad for a moment, regretful. Because, remember, it was her order that got him pruned. And she knows he's not dead, but she thinks he's... Well, okay, so she can't actually tell if he's dead because she knows Eliath could have gotten him. If she knows Eliath exists, she knows there's the Void. Um, but she probably thinks the Void would have gotten him, or he's just, you know, suffering in the Void. So, understandably, she's regretful. I would be, too. Um, and plus, he was, like, her best friend. Um... Anyway, so, she continues going through the files, and Miss Minutes pops up, and she, Miss Minutes says, here are the files, um, and Ravana looks at them, and she says, these aren't the files I asked for, and Miss Minutes goes, yes, I know, but he thinks these will be more useful, and she, like, emphasizes the word he, and Ravana's like, who? And then Miss Minutes is like, happy reading, and she just disappears, and, um, which is kind of funny because Ravana's just like, what is happening? And Miss Minutes is just like, bye-bye. Um, so, we still don't know what files were downloaded on her temp pad. We don't know what she was looking at. What he who remains sent her. Um, based on all these clues and what happened at the end of the episode. Um, it could be 
instructions. Now, I have this whole theory kind of thing, but it's also, I think, good to think. Okay, so she didn't say he who remains. She said he. Now, could Miss Minutes be working for multiple people? I don't know. Like, we have no idea. Do I think so? Not really. But... I have this whole theory, and I'm going to explain it at the end of the episode, so stick around for that. Um, I think it, like, kind of works, but, you know, my theories are usually always wrong, so don't latch onto it, please, because I'm probably going to be wrong. Um, I'd be surprised if I got one thing right, but, you know, it's just me speculating, because when I get bored, that's what I do. Um... I have this whole, like, notebook, it's my Marvel notebook, I call it, where I write down, um, notes and theories and things I learned about comic book characters and things like that. Um, anywho, going, so then it goes back to Loki and Sylvie, and there's this really nice, like, shot, so it starts off basically sideways, and then just rotates to the left, and it's, it just gives you the impression that things are out of place here and you know you're not totally sure what what this place is or what's going on so it was really cool and the inside of the citadel is really neat looking because the citadel is basically built out of the asteroids so like there's all these like golden lines crisscrossing through the black stone and it just looks really neat but it also looks really um empty lonely um dark so it was a great set design i'd say or i think part of it is a set but i'm guessing part of it is green screen um anyway they get to this place um with these four statues except one of those statues is broken and i believe i heard once that this is an easter egg to um a timekeeper that was killed i think in the comic books um now, could it be more than that? Could there have been another timekeeper? Could it represent Kang or Vana? I don't know. But there's a broken statue. And suddenly the elevator um, uh, in the room opens. And there's this guy sitting there. And I got really excited when I saw that his cape was purple. Because my speculation was it's either King Loki in that citadel or Kang the Conqueror. And... I was leading more towards King Loki because I, after the whole Mephisto debacle, uh, during the time WandaVision was coming out, I was like, no, I don't want to get my hopes up. Like, I totally thought it was going to be Mephisto, and then it ended up being, uh, spoiler alert, Agatha all along, and only Agatha. Not, Not that I don't like Agatha. Agatha is, like, one of my favorite villains in the Marvel Universe now, like, right up there with Loki. Um... And I'm very excited for her show, which, if you guys don't know, she has a show coming out called Agatha House of Harkness. When? Who knows? But it's coming, eventually. Um, no, but I totally thought it was Mephisto, and then it wasn't. And there were a lot more clues pointing to Kang to Conqueror in Loki than there were clues pointing to Mephisto in WandaVision. But I was still like, no, I don't want to get my hopes up. Uh, I'm gonna lean- I'm gonna- go with King Loki, but Ken the Conqueror is, like, an option I think they could use. So, when I saw the purple rose, I was like, oh my gosh, I think it's Kang. Um, and, you know, I was getting really excited. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Kang. Um, of course, it's not what he calls himself, but yeah, he is a variant of Kang the Conqueror, or Nathaniel Richards, or whatever you want to call him. Um, Anyway, the first thing he says is, this is wild. And I, I'm, I mean, isn't that what you're basically all thinking in that moment? Um, anyway, um, he gets out, he's eating an apple, um, he tells them to come to his office so they all get into the elevator, um, and as they're riding up, Loki knows that he's just a man and he remains as like, I'm not a disappointment, am I? And so he goes, no, it's just a little bit easier to kill. And she swings her sword at him. And he uses this, like, fancy tempad on, tempad on his wrist 
to go to another part of the elevator. She swings at him again. Um, he disappears again to a different part of the elevator, and she swings again. And he uses the temp pad, and he's gone. And the elevator stops, the doors opens, and he's waiting in his office. Um, and the whole time he's being super cheery, like, she just tried to kill him, like, three times. And he's just like, come on in, come on in. He was a really fun character, I have to say, even though he was, like, a villain and possibly has, um, a, a very diabolical plan going on here. He was fun. Um, and he shows them into his office, they sit down, he gives them some tea, um, and he begins to talk about, um, how crazy it is that the two of them are there, um, and you know, the, the whole time Silva's just getting fed up with, um, everything he's saying, and she keeps saying he's lying, he's lying, you don't know how everything's gonna go, and he's like, okay, if I don't know how everything's gonna go, how do I keep disappearing when you try to kill me? It's because I have this information all loaded up on my temp pad here, so I don't get killed by YouTube. And then he gives him these papers, um, with everything they're going to say, with everything they have said, um, and, you know, Sylvie's just like, no, we broke out of your little game, and he remains as like, no, everything you guys did, I paved the road, you two just walked down it, and there's just really, like, dark music playing in the background, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, um, because, doesn't that kind of change everything about the show? Like, I, if, it, if, if he's not lying, and if it was him, you know, making sure they walked, making sure they did everything they needed to to get to the Citadel together this whole time, then, like, it's just, you know, it's hard to wrap your head around. But he could be lying. He could be, um, I, I suppose. Um, anyway, I, th I believe we cut back to Ravana sometime around this part of the episode. Um, and Mo Mobius walks in and, well, basically she hears a knock and she's like, I said, I didn't want to be disturbed. And Mobius opens the door, and he's like, well, then you're not going to be happy to see me. And then, like, in this, like, really funny Mobius way, he just goes, he's back. Okay, that was probably the only time I laughed during this whole episode, but, oh my gosh. Owen Wilson did such a good job with Mobius, and Mobius is so hilarious. So, it was just great to get that little Mobius moment. Anyway, Ravana is very clearly surprised. And, you know, she's trying to regain herself, and she says, I guess if anyone could make it back from the void, it would be you. And Mobius responds with, one man's void is another man's piece of cake. And, you know, they're both trying to play it off as like, oh, I totally expected this. Like, totally trying to be cool about the whole thing, but, um, you know, Ravana tries to call a hunter down to her office, and Mobius says, I don't think that's gonna work, Ravana." Now that everyone knows your secret, and Ravana goes, what did you do? And suddenly we cut to this school, and I forget the actual name of the school, but it's where Ravana's pen came from, and this pen from, like, this random high school kept popping up throughout the show, and the camera would keep focusing in on it, and it turns out it's because Ravana was, uh, the principal of that school, or, uh, who appeared to be the principal, Maybe vice principal, but she's definitely, she definitely worked at the school, and she was one of the, she was one of the, uh, people who ran the school, and, anyway, we see B-15 running down a hallway, and I believe it's, um, I forget the number of the hunter, like, 890 or something, but anyway, this other hunter is chasing her. And B-15 runs into Ravana's office, 
um, at the school, and the hunter follows her and says, end of the line, B-15, and then Ravana walks out of her office, except it isn't Ravana because this is uh, a variant of Ravana from a different timeline, so she doesn't know who B-15 and these hunters are, and she comes out, and she's like, what the heck are you doing in my school, and the hunter is very confused, and he says, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, and he's, like, obviously very confused, and uh, B-15 goes, that's not Renslayer, and, you know, this poor hunter is, like, very, very torn, very confused, and he's like, what are you talking about, and B-15 goes, yeah, we have a lot to talk about, and it ends there, and that is the last we see of B-15 for season one. Hopefully she'll turn up again in season two, and we'll find out. Or, I'm sorry, that's not the last we see of B-15 in season one, but um, we don't really know what happened in that scene. Um, I think we're just supposed to assume she explained um, kind of what was happening to that hunter, but we don't get to see it, so we don't actually know. Um... Let's just knock out the rest of the Mobius and Ravana scene here. Um, so Ravana is very upset, and um, they get into this long argument about who betrayed who, because Mobius is very upset. He's like he's talking about the speech Ravana gave him in episode four, and he's like, "Friends against time, allies till the end." That was so beautiful. And then he went and betrayed me, and this gets Ravana very angry. She goes, "No, no, you betrayed me." eons of friendship and you threw it away in a couple of Lokis so we and Mobius believe that Ravana betrayed him but Ravana kind of um in her mind believes that Mobius betrayed her by turning away from the TVA and herself to go um work with and rescue two Loki variants um Mobius takes out a pruning stick and he's going to try to prune her but uh, you know, all her years of being a hunter are just gonna, like, randomly wear off, so she, like, snatches it from him, kicks him, he falls between the couch and the table, and she lowers the pruning stick like she's about to prune him, and he gets ready for it, like, he just kind of accepts his fate, but she doesn't want to do it again, she, I mean, all in all, she still cares about Mobius a lot, because, you know, like you said, eons and eons of friendship that doesn't just wear away in a couple of days, and I don't think she wants to go through the pain of pruning him again. So she turns off the pruning stick, and she opens um, a time door, and Mobius says, where are you going to go? And by the way, she has like a suitcase or like a briefcase of some sort, so she's been packing some things. Anyway, he's like, where are you going to go? And she goes in search of free will. And she walks through the time door, and that is the last we see of Ravana Renslayer for season one. Not totally sure where she went, if she was following orders from He Who Remains, or from another variant of Kang the Conqueror. I'm not totally sure. Or maybe she was following instructions from Miss Minutes. Miss um, Minutes gave her lead. We're not totally sure where she went or why. All we're getting is that she's going in search of free will, and we don't know who's been getting information to her or what the information was and I have literally no guesses which I kind of think is good because I think they're going to give us a big surprise in season two about who gave her the information and where she went and what she did with that information and I don't really want to guess ahead of time or well guessing is fun but I don't really want to know ahead of time or have it be too easy because it would be really nice to have a reveal about what she was doing in um, season two. Anyway, so most of the rest of this episode is taken up at the Citadel at the end of time. So he who remains kind of the whole time he's explaining things to them is also insulting them and making them angry and edging them along. Um, There's one point he asks Sylvie, do you really think you can trust this guy? And he's like, don't listen to him. And then he remains goes, do you think you are in fact capable of trusting anyone at all? Um, and, you know, Sylvia's getting a little hesitant here. She's not totally sure what to say. Um, there's a lot of talking that happened in the scene. But I think the biggest thing is just his, 
his explanation of his backstory, which is very similar to the comic book uh, backstory of Kang the Conqueror. So the comic book backstory is um, Kang the Conqueror was a time traveler, and he accidentally traveled back to... Um... So yeah, okay, so starting at the beginning, his real name is Nathaniel Richards. He was born in the 31st century, and he got this time machine, and he accidentally traveled back to like ancient um, Egypt, and be and the Egyptians worshipped him as a god. He became Pharaoh Ramatut. Then he traveled back to the light, or not traveled back, he traveled uh, way into the future, past the 31st, sorry, past the 31st century, to, um, I don't, it was just this really, um, technological era, and, uh, he did some stuff there, not really showing that part, but anyway, then he ended up accidentally traveling to the Avengers time, and... Uh, he met up with the Avengers, and it was one of the really early Avengers comics, like, it was, like, either in the teens or the 20s, um, not, not totally sure which, it might have been the teens, like, 14 or 16 or something like that, anyway, he, uh, he got there, and he fought the Avengers and things like that, but anyway, um, eventually, he found other King the Conquerors, or, you know, other versions of himself from different universes, and he, or they all created this thing called the Council of Cross-Time Kings, but each King the Conqueror was, like, secretly plotting to kill the other, so there was this huge, like, Kang war, if you can call it that, and when, uh, the dust was settled, there was one Kang the Conqueror, and then, like, well, this version of Kang the Conqueror who called himself Kang. And then there was also this other version of Kang the Conqueror. And he was like this future version of Kang. And he called himself Mortis. And, um, Mortis and Kang were always at each other's throats. And Mortis was like, this is what you're going to become. You are going to become a Mortis. And Kang is like desperately fighting not to become a Mortis. And there was this whole thing called the Destiny War... Um, where Amortis brought Kang and the Avengers to the Timekeepers, and the Timekeepers um, were going to to speed up Kang's change into Amortis, um, and they were going to kill the Avengers. And I read this one. I'm I'm not I can't because I read this one pretty early on, so like months and months ago. So I can't totally remember if they were going to change Kang into Amortis after Amortis died. Or just because they needed uh, another Immortus. But, like, either way, they were going to do it. Um, in the end, Kang didn't end up getting changed into Immortus. He fought against it and won. And um, the Avengers destroyed the Timekeepers. And, yeah, so that's, like, a really long story on Kang the Conqueror. And he shows up, like, multiple times throughout comic book history. He fights the Young Avengers. He fights the Fantastic Four. He's never really, truly gone. And he still shows up in comic books to this day, but he's a really cool and exciting character, and, you know, you can kind of just put him anywhere. Um, and there's a lot, like, a lot you can do with this character, um, especially if my theories are correct and they're building to a Young Avengers film. Um, or Young Avengers anything, Young Avengers show, Young Avengers movie. I prefer movie, but if they did a show well, I'd accept it. <laughs> anyway, um... So, anyway, I just wanted to tell that backstory because it's very similar to the one told in the show. So, he who remains explains there was a scientist um, in the 31st century who discovered universes stacked on top of his own. At the same time he was discovering this, other variants of himself were discovering the same thing. They met up, and for a while there was peace. Narcissistic, self-congratulatory peace, and he goes into this whole thing, he's like... Love your hair, love your shoes, love your nose. Thanks, man. It's, I don't know. Okay, I just gotta say it now. Um, Jonathan Majors as He He Remains and eventually Kang the Conqueror is amazing. He is so funny. And, like, it, it would, in other shows, it would definitely be overacting. But for this character, it like, what he did with the character and what he did in the show is perfect acting. Like, spot-on perfect 
perfect acting. It was incredible. And he's one of my favorite parts of the episode for sure. And I cannot wait to see Jonathan Majors as Kane the Conqueror again. Like, maybe he's not as funny as this, but you know he's just going to do a great job with the character. Um, and when I say he's not going to be as funny as this, is because most of the time Kane is like a super serious, murdery kind of guy. Um, and I'm guessing that's the type of Kane who's going to show up in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And yes, Kane the Conqueror is confirmed to be the villain of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. He was confirmed to be the villain before Loki even debuted. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, and yeah, Jonathan Majors is coming back. Anyway, so going back to the backstory. Um, uh, he here Mance continues to say, so yeah, for a while there was narcissistic, self-congratulatory peace, but not all of the variants were as... Um, good as he who remains was and they saw other universes as potential worlds to be conquered and that turned into a multiversal war and this is the multiversal war we heard about in episode one and we thought the timekeepers took care of it but it was actually he who remains supposedly who took care of it he says he harnessed the power or he took the timeline and you know molded it into the way he wanted and then bent it into one single timeline the sacred timeline and then he harnessed the power of Eliath um that feeds on matter that could serve as a gateway between the void and um the citadel and that could you know be the guard of the void, kind of, and getting rid of all the stuff that gets sent there. So, and he did this all to protect himself um, from his variants and possibly the whole multiverse, but all this to protect himself from his variants says a lot, unless he's lying. Which Sylvie brings up, of course, and I think we're all kind of suspecting the same thing. Like, this is crazy. Like, my my thoughts were like, how does one man and a human man, even though he's born in the 31st century with crazy technology, how does one man, like, take space and time and, like, the entire multiverse and just, like, bend it to the way he wants it to be, create this, like, bureaucratic organization called the Time Variance Authority with all these people he's plucked from different timelines, and then, like, just put the multiverse into one timeline, like, how does, how does anyone do that? And then, like, like, the technology in the TVA makes sense, because a lot of that could be made in the 31st century, or he just has, like, a lot of knowledge about technology and he could make that but like still and then it also brings with a question like if he made the tva then where is it because he's not just gonna have it on some random timeline i think now like i um i've heard things like maybe it's in the quantum realm um so if it's in the quantum realm maybe the tva will have something to do with ant-man and the wasp quantumania where kang is the villain and like I also have a couple of theories about that, but, um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania isn't even supposed to come out until May 2023, and hopefully we'll have a few more clues about what might be happening in that movie, and then low-key, because of, like, Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and, like, other movies that might have something to do with the multiverse, um, so anyway, yeah, his backstory is very similar, and things like that, and, you know, he talks about how he created ages and ages of cosmic harmony, and at at this point, like, again, Jonathan Majors was doing so good, he was, like, standing on the table, he was, like, ages and ages of cosmic harmony, hence, you're welcome, and he's just, like, super pleased with himself, and Sylvia and Loki are staring at him like he's insane, which he might be, by the way, um, I mean, being alone by yourself for, like, all of time is... I'm surprised he's not even more insane than he already is. But anyway, he tells them they have two options. One, they can kill him where he sits and everything explodes, multiversal war. Um, Or, 
they can take over the TVA and they can rule it and they can tell the workforce what they do and why they do it and take over to lead the TVA. Um, that real quick, I just want to say that also brought up a question like, if they kill he who remains, why does the why does the multiverse become a thing again? Like, why does the sacred timeline explode and go into all these branches? Is he like connected to the timeline somehow? Like, is he like tethered to it by some like mystical force? And that leads into one of my theories. Um, but I will I will get into that at the end. Um, anyway. Um, so I think about this a lot, like if um, I were in their position, what would I do? And yeah, I would definitely take time to talk about it, but like just thinking about it, I f- it's so hard though because it's important for everyone in the multiverse to have this, um, they're saying what they want to do, but then like you run the risk of exposing them to all these kings and possibly destroying the multiverse forever. So, like, if you wanted to do that, I feel like you need to have a plan. Um, so, like, and this is crazy, but if I were in their place, I'd go to the TVA, I'd talk to them about it, and we'd organize this whole plan before we open the multiverse so we could have a plan on how to deal with all the consequences that follow. Um, anyway, Sylvie is not going to talk about it. She, she swings her sword down and he remains. She's ready to kill him. By the way, at this point, he's taken off his fancy temp pad. Oh, and real quick, before she before she tried to kill him, there was this rumbling, and then he goes, we've crossed the threshold. And, you know, he sounds um, kind of scared. He also looks kind of excited. And he drops this, like, item. And the only reason I can think of that he did it was that it almost seemed like he was testing something. Like, like he didn't know he was going to drop that item. He didn't see it in the future. And so he was experiencing free will almost for the first time. Like, he didn't know he was going to do that. Um, and he says, so I fibbed. I don't know everything that was about to happen. I knew up to a certain point, seven, eight, nine, ten seconds ago. Um, very, very interesting. And I hope this threshold thing is, like, discussed more in the second season. And it probably will because people are like, threshold? What is he talking about? Like, what's this item he dropped? What is happening? Now, I just think he was experiencing free will for the first time in a long time. Um, so, yeah. Um, and, uh, anyway, that's when Sylvie brings her sword out on him. But Loki grabs her arm and he's like, Sylvie, we need to talk about this. And she's like, what is there to talk about? Um, and he's like, didn't you listen to what he just said? That's the gambit. Destroy him? Like, multiverse gets unleashed. And she's like, what, so I'm just, I'm just going to believe that if I kill him, we're going to unleash a bazillion b- boogeyman? He's a liar, Loki. And very good line, he goes, so am I. And I don't think he was lying. Not about that insane. Yes. But maybe he's telling the truth. And, um, uh, okay, when, when a Loki needs something, like, uh, in Loki terms, like, their glorious purpose... Like, they will stop at nothing to achieve that glorious purpose. And in Sylvie's mind, killing the man behind the TVA is her glorious purpose. So she's kind of blinded by everything right now. Just like Loki was blinded by everything in the Avengers movie when Thor was trying to stop him. Sylvie kind of goes into Loki's place. And Loki kind of goes into Thor's place in this moment. Except this is a lot more... uh, Whatever happens would breed a lot more consequences than whatever happened in the Avengers. Like, this is... It's not just world consequences. It's not just consequences for the whole universe. It's consequences for the whole multiverse, which is, like... That's an insane um, scale right there. Um, but anyway... Um, do do I disagree with how Sylvie handled the situation? 100%. Like, I understand it totally but i'm not totally but like i understand it but i disagree with it but then at the same time i'm also very happy because this means we're finally getting the multiverse in the mcu so you know it's it's um like it's like disagreement mixed with understanding mixed with like total excitement that makes me want to like cheer so you know whatever (laughs) anyway um 
So Sylvie's kind of grasping at whatever excuse she can find, and she goes, oh, you just want the throne. And, of course, that's not what Loki wants. He goes, no, that's not it. And, you know, she's she's pretty upset. Um, she goes, why aren't we seeing this the same way? And another great line, like, the writers here are just awesome, but Loki answers, because you can't trust, and I can't be trusted. And she goes, well, I guess then we're in a pickle. And she swings her sword at him. And they break out into, like, this quick, like, I don't even know, like, a minute-long fight. Um, no matter how long it was, every time I watch it, I just think it's it's heartbreaking to watch them at odds with each other. Like, um, she, she, like, he gets slammed against a wall at one point. There's this, like, one part where, um, uh, Loki's like, stop, we need to think about this. Um, and, like, Sylvie pushes his sword against her neck and she's like fine do it then kill me take your throne and it's so sad because he just sounds so heartbroken and he's just like no but it just comes out like so heartbroken like I just describe it almost as like a like this is weird but I describe it almost as like um like a whimper almost like he it was just like no oh but it's just oh my gosh this whole scene it was great acting but it was completely heartbreaking anyway Eventually, Sylvia, like, blasts him against the bookcase, and then she takes this flying leap, and we go into slow motion as she comes down, and he he remains with her sword, and we're all, like, holding our breath, and then uh, Loki, like, teleports in front of her, or, like, I don't don't really know what that power is, like, minor teleportation. Anyway, he gets in front of the desk, and her sword lands on his neck, but, like, she kind of stopped herself short, so she didn't, like, chop his head off or anything, which would have been really, um disturbing anyway oh and also it would have been the fifth time we'd seen loki die on screen so um yeah no let's not do that (laughs) anyway um uh loki tells her to stop he like grips her shoulders and he's like okay so this part was also really sad because he's like crying and then she's crying but she also looks kind of like angry or like not angry but more like frustrated almost um she's not totally sure what to do like she's frustrated with loki for stopping her but she's also really sad and confused and anyway loki goes into like one of the best bitches in like mco history he goes i've been where you are i felt what you feel don't ask me how i know um all i know is i don't want to hurt you i don't want a throne i just want you to be okay and for somebody who's never had anybody care about her before in her life, and people have been hunting her her entire life and things like that, to hear somebody say, all I want is for you to be okay, I feel like that would be really nice, is the only way I can describe it. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, she drops her sword, and then she k-i-s-s-e-s loki (laughs) anyway um yeah um that kind of caught me off guard because i don't know she's just so careful like concealing her emotions and things like that and that she couldn't but then people are like no it was only a distraction because you know in the end she says i'm not you and using he remains ten pad, which she like grabbed off the desk, um she opened um a time door and like shoved him through and then the time door closed and Loki was stuck in the T V A with no way to get to her. Um so like people are like, No, it was only a distraction and I don't think so. I don't think it was only a distraction. Um I think like I think it was a lot of things, um part of it might have been a distraction but I think it was also like um like an apology of sorts um maybe a thank you and then definitely a goodbye um um there's I feel like it was definitely a thank you and an apology for sure um and then like kind of a distraction but anyway, I feel like a, a, a lot of it was very real. And then, anyway. So, she looks very sad for a second. Um, Loki's obviously very sad. He, like, tried to run to get through the door, but it closed on him, so he couldn't get back. And um, 
he remains starts laughing and he's like wow um you know he's pretty impressed and um sylvie picks up her sword she like shoves the desk away using like the force or something <laughs> that's what it looked like like she like i don't even know what she did it just she like shoved her hand in the desk like went sliding down the room and i was like oh my gosh she used the force i i don't know i have no idea <laughs> anyway um she stabs he remains in the heart and um he dies but like his last words are see you soon which totally not creepy at all and then the multiverse or the sacred timeline starts to split into all these branches and things like that and she suddenly realizes what she's done and like classic revenge scenario um she realizes that um revenge doesn't satisfy any anybody um or anything and she falls to the ground and she just kind of watches in horror as the sacred timeline begins to turn into this like crazy web of branches and um timelines and things like that and uh then we cut back to loki the tva and he's devastated and he's just sitting um on the stairs in a time theater and we don't like his face kind of says it all like he's very heartbroken um feels betrayed um and then like kind of a kind of a resolve crosses his face and he gets up and he starts walking through the tva looking for mobius and he finally comes across mobius and b15 in the archives which is weird because when sylvie broke the sacred timeline um there was a shot of mobius and b15 in the control room watching the timeline branch into all these uh different timelines and um mobius says no turning back now um b15 says who said anything about turning back mobius says for all time and b15 responds um always so yeah they were in the control room and they knew what was happening like they understood exactly what was happening and then when Loki finds them in the archives, in the archives, why are they in the archives? They're acting totally shocked, like, B-15 is like, what, that's what, like, 36 new branches? Does he just wanna, does he just want us to let them grow? And that was also really interesting, does he just want us to let them grow? Like, what? So, so many clues pointing to that. This is not the Mobius and the B-15 we know. Um, and I don't know if their minds were wiped. Or, like, what is happening if this is, like, an alternate, um, TVA. But, again, I have a few theories about that. Um, anyway, Loki tries to explain to them what just happened. And, but Mobius is like, who are you? What's your name? And Loki's just like, wait, what are you talking about? And then he notices that the Timekeeper statues are gone. And instead, there's a statue of he who remains. Except he's in, like, full King the Conqueror gear. Except for the helmet. He's missing the helmet. Which kind of stinks. But other than that, he's in, like, full comic book King the Conqueror gear. And there's just this, um, yeah, and, like, and like the statue's just sitting there. And then roll credits. And it's over. And I, okay, so it's hilarious because, um, the screen went dark and then the credits started to play. And I am not even kidding. My literal first thought was, it's fake. I don't know why. I thought the credits were fake. And then... It took me, like, a couple seconds into the credits to realize that they're not fake, but that they just left us on a total cliffhanger, and we have no idea what's going to happen next. And I screamed, like, what? And I got, I screamed so loud that my dad, who was sitting on the couch, was like, Carol, calm down. Like, be quiet. And it was like, okay, okay, okay. So, I looked up when season two was coming out, and it said, um like late 2022 early 2023 or around that time and that was just like a theory like that wasn't even confirmed and i was like you have got to be kidding me um anyway so you know i've kind of gotten over it but i am very very excited for Loki season two and i cannot wait um if you want to hear what i want from season two i suggest go checking out my episode on like my initial thoughts on loki and like about what wrapped up afterwards but i'll just let you know the thing that i want the most is mobius on a jet ski please we cannot have a a season two of loki without mobius on a jet ski so that like better happen or i'm suing marvel studios anyway my theory okay so um it's like a bunch of little things but 
Okay, so, question. Uh, the question about Miss Minutes, why would she offer Loki and Sylvie those deals if he, he remains good seed to the future and no, they wouldn't accept them and just go right to his office? Like, why even do that? And I think I said this earlier in the episode, but, like, I get the whole you need to, uh, you know, go to the end to be changed by the journey. Need all these steps. Like, he said this stuff, it needs to happen, but, like... It was a temptation, and it was definitely a factor that led to Sylvie wanting to get rid of um, He Who Remains because Miss Minutes reminded her you could wake up with a lifetime of happy memories, which is something Sylvie doesn't have right now because of He Who Remains. And then He Who Remains kept, like, pushing them on, um, insulting them, teasing them, messing with them. Like, it was, like, it was like he wanted them to get angry enough to kill him um and this also so him um being killed and resulting in the rise of the multiverse also kind of has something to do with my theory because uh if he was tethered to the sacred timeline in some way um that would mean he was, like, trapped, um, and the Citadel would be almost a prison of sorts, um, so being killed would get him out of that prison, but it would also, you know, untether him, which would result in the multiverse erupting from the sacred timeline, so, like, but then, like, that brings up the question, why would he be tethered to the multiverse? Who tethered him? Why would he want to break free? And then what does that have to do with the Kang statue we saw in that alternate TVA or whatever that was? And I don't have any way to answer those questions at all. And I feel like I should let it be, but then also I want to like go into theories. But if you guys have any theories or anything, just leave them in the comment section on Apple Podcasts. Because, I don't know, Loki theories are always just super interesting. But yeah, I just... I didn't totally know what to think after that last Loki episode, and I didn't know what to think so much that I actually ended up watching it again just a few hours later, and that really solidified a lot of the, um, you know, facts and things in the show, and then just watching it over and over again, it just helped me pick up on a lot of that stuff, um, so yeah, anyway, Gosh, that Sylvie and Loki fight is just so heartbreaking, though. Oh my gosh. Because I am a Loki and Sylvie fan. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there who aren't, like, who, like, debt, like, hate it, hate it. There's a lot of people out there who are, like, neutral. There's a lot of um, Mobius and Loki fans out there, I know that. But me, I'm a Sylvie and Loki fan. And uh, the only way that would change is if... Um, Marvel Studios did something so well, um, that made me want to change my mind. But anyway, I'm a hardcore Loki and Sylvie fan. Um, yeah. So, anywho, that is my spoiler review on episode 6 of Loki. The comic book for this episode is the original Runaway series, which, um, let me look up the writer of that series real quick. That is, um, kind of important if you want to try and find the one I'm talking about. I'm going on to Marvel Unlimited right now, maybe. Oh, it's being weird. Okay. Let me see. Run Aways. Okay, it's a really good comic book series. Here we go. The author, the writer is, wait, where's the writer? Oh, this is so weird. Oh. Nope, that's not it. The writer's gotta be here somewhere. Um. Ooh, maybe if I clicked on it. Okay. Hang on. I'm looking. Okay, I'm gonna come up here. 
Oh, here we go. The writer is Brian K. Vaughn. Sorry, that took forever, and I was, like, actually searching that up while I was recording the episode, but anyway. Um, that is the writer of the Runaway series I'm talking about, and it was really good, and I'm actually on the second Runaway series right now, and, um, I gotta say, Runaways is probably my favorite team of superheroes, um, and I love them, and I love the... All, this, all the things they do with the characters, and it's really, really cool. So, you don't even need to read the whole series. Just please, when you go to a comic book store next time, try your best to find a Runaways comic, and you will not regret it. So, yeah. That is all I have for you for this episode. So, yeah. Higher for the faster. Oh, and that is a wrap on the Loki spoiler reviews. So, yeah. Anyway, higher for the faster. Bye!